And so we're talking about winning your battles, and this week's message is on the battle of your body. The battle for your body, and I don't see many children in here, but I, I would recommend, uh, we're going to be talking about some heavier things. We'll talk about um, sexual immorality. So if you have a child or your spouse is maybe a little too childish, uh, you might want to remove them right now. And uh, we're going to jump in. And so since we're talking about heavier things, of course, we need to start with a joke. So uh, this man is in a, in a church graveyard and he's just weeping and he's pounding on a, a tombstone saying, why did you have to die? Why did you have to die? Why did you pass away? Now my life is ruined. My life is ruined. I can't make it. And the, the sweet pastor sees him. And so he goes out and he's like, friend, I see that you're really grieving. Who are you mourning for? And he goes, this is the grave of my wife's first husband. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Nothing to do with the message. But now that we're all encouraged. Turn with me to Romans 12 for a moment. Romans 12. Uh, why does a, a message on the body matter? Why does that matter? Here's what I find as we move into the summer months. Many people are more aware of their body. They're thinking about their bodies. They're, oh my goodness, I got to get my summer body on. I'm going to actually have to show up at the beach. I'm going to be at someone's pool party. Someone might put me on Instagram in my bathing suit. Oh Lord. And, and, and we also think, well, my kids are getting out of school. Maybe we'll go on a vacation to rest our bodies. Or you're thinking, I'm going to have some more time. So I'm going to go to this restaurant I've been thinking about to feed my body. Or man, I'm excited about the summer blockbusters coming out. So I can just relax my body in the movie theater and take in some, some movies. And here's what I find is many times we think that's our normal life. And, and, and then we put our spiritual life or our religious life in a completely different compartment. And can I just tell you that that's not how Scripture depicts them? This is Romans 12.1. It actually merges the two together and says what you do with your body is actually very spiritual, and so Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your, to present your, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do you know what you do with your body is spiritual? And do you know that we can actually worship God through our bodies? So let me give you a theology of the body. Starting in Genesis the first book in the Bible, Genesis 2-7, it says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And what I find fascinating in this day and age where Christians who believe in the Bible and they believe in creationism, and then there's on the other side secular humanists that might believe in a completely different theory of the origin of mankind, they all agree on this, that man is made of dust. Right? You research the origins of man, and both sides say man is made of dust. And in fact, every religion and almost every country has an origin, species, uh, an origin story of how man came from dust. Check it out in Hinduism, in the Quran, in Native American folklore. It all speaks back to the same. Why? Because God has put this truth in our hearts. But the amazing thing is this. The Hebrew word for dust is afar and it's not just talking about like the fine little grain. It's talking about clay. 
And then you see throughout Scripture this beautiful thought that God is the potter shaping the clay. Do you know that God shaped you? Do you know that the Bible says, Psalm 139, you were knit together in your mother's womb? Do you know that your body matters to God? Some of us don't like our bodies. Some of us are frustrated. Can I just tell you that your body matters to God? And he sees how he shaped you, and he said, I wanted you to be you. And I like how I've made you. So diving in a little more, this is fascinating. Do you know that the first sin was a sin of the body? So just as God says your body is wonderful and God says your body can be used for worship and to glorify me, do you know the enemy knows that? And so that is why he goes after your body. And so the enemy comes and he brings this temptation to, to Eve and to Adam and he says, I want you to eat from this tree, this fruit. And it says it was pleasing to the eye, which is part of the body, and then good for food. And what do they do? They, they take of the apple and they eat of it. They sin with their bodies. And then what happens? Sin affects their body. Can I just tell you that when we break God's laws, it actually negatively affects our bodies, that's why I'm talking about it today, because I want you to live the abundant life. God has a great life for you, and God has a great life for your body. But what happens? They take of the forbidden fruit, and three things happen. First of all, they realize they're naked, and they have shame. They have shame over their bodies. Wouldn't it be great? I, I don't know a person on this earth that doesn't have something about their body that they wouldn't want to change. Right? Can you imagine not having shame in your body? took the fruit, there's shame. Second of all, all of a sudden their work, it became painful, toil. And thirdly, death came into their body. Now here's the amazing thing. So Jesus comes to purchase our redemption, to pay for our sin. And how does he does it? How does, how does he pay? He doesn't pay it financially. Jesus doesn't show up with a, 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 a treasure chest of gold. Right? He doesn't just do it spiritually, right? And just say a prayer and abolish sin. How does he pay for it? He pays for it with his... Isn't that amazing? And so Jesus actually takes the nails in his hand and in his feet, the sword in his side, the lashing on his back, and he dies and pays the price for sin. Sin entered through the body, and then he pays for it with his body. And not just that. The fruit. The fruit was on a what in the garden? It was on a tree. So they take from the fruit of the tree. So then where does Jesus die? Jesus dies on a cross, and the cross comes from a? So people wonder, why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, maybe it was just because that was the primary instrument of death for the Romans. No, actually, Jesus was paying the price on the instrument that brought sin into the world. And he dealt with it once and for all on that same instrument. And he turned it into something of glory. And it's not just that. Listen to this. This is fascinating to me. Genesis 3, 17 through 18. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You ever wonder why Jesus had a crown of thorns placed on his head? Because of sin, the ground produced thorns. And so Jesus takes that fruit of sin, that, that 
punishment for sin and takes it on his brow. He takes the thorns into his body to defeat the curse on the earth. Isn't that powerful? You see, Jesus is coming to redeem your body. And so oftentimes as Christians, we think, well, my Christian life is just a spiritual thing. My body, that's part over here, but my spirit, that's what really matters. Can I just tell you, at the end of created history on earth, your body actually gets resurrected. Like in heaven, you're not just like Casper the friendly ghost floating around, playing the harp. You know your body will be resurrected, but it's gonna look a lot better right? I'm going to have some long flowing golden locks, folks. My redeemed. Don't look for me looking like this. Your body is going to be redeemed. And that's one of the reasons it matters what you do with your body, because you want to have said, Lord, my body, I presented it to you as a sacrifice of worship. So let's, let's dive in today, because although your body will be redeemed, while we live on this earth, there is a battle for your body because Satan knows how powerful it is. So let me give you the four temptations. I'm going to ask for a model to come join me. Jason, can you come help me today? Thank you so much. Jason's amazing. Uh, wait, where are you going? All right, so I've asked, I've asked for a model. There we go. Uh, a, a real model. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you Gary Goodbody. Um, Gary actually has the coolest haircut in town, by the way. And um, Gary's, a, uh, Gary's a true San Diegan, showed up for church in board shorts and uh, vans. I think we can make him look a little more San Diegan, though. Here's his tattoo sleeve. And uh, all right, now, now he's, he's legit, right? <laughs> Looks like one of our church planners. And uh, <laughs> all right, so... Um, so Gary has these natural appetites, and they're good. They're placed in him by God, but the enemy comes to take our natural appetites and turn them into temptation to destroy us. So here's temptation number one is the hunger temptation. So it goes right here on Gary's stomach. Man, you should feel his stomach is ripped. <laughs> so <laughs> hunger. Now let me ask you this. Is food... Bad. No. no, food is great. Praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, I love food. Uh, God made food. In the garden, it says that he placed all these different kinds of trees in the garden. I love variety. I love variety of food. Uh, last week, I was on a cleanse, right? Cleanses. Um, that's from the devil. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I could eat Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, and zucchini. For breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's the closest thing I've ever experienced to hell. And um, <laughs> it's, I'm committed to evangelism way more because that's my idea of, of hell. And so um, I'm feeling better, praise God. But here, here's the thing. God gave us food for our enjoyment, right? And, and he actually said, celebrate these different feasts. There's the tabernacle, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, the, the, the Feast of, of Trumpets. There's all these different feasts. And then you look at, at, at Jesus' life, and, and, and they're like, hey, John the Baptist came fasting, but, but Jesus, the Son of Man, came feasting, and, they, and he eats with sinners and tax collectors. And if you look at the book of Luke, Jesus basically eats his way through the gospel. 
I'm serious. He's like always at someone's house eating dinner, always at the next wedding eating, right? And I'm like, that's, I love you, Jesus. And uh, so food is not bad, right? But here's what can happen is it can become an idol to us. And our stomachs, this, this hunger can actually become a master to us. And so Paul's addressing this and, and he's talking to first the, the church in Corinth, who was a very carnal church. And he's quoting them because the Corinthians said, I have a right to do anything with my body. And he, so he writes, I have a right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. And then he says, I have a right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Can I just tell you that the abundant life that God gives you is to enjoy food, but not to be mastered by it? Here's how you know you're mastered by food is if when you're sad, you go and eat. But when you're happy, you go and eat. And when you're angry, you have to have something to eat. And when you're frustrated, you go and eat. Right? And when you're bored, you go and eat. And when you're excited, you eat. And, and you know you're mastered if sometimes you just find yourself in front of the refrigerator, just staring longingly, right? And you're like, how did I get here? I don't even remember coming, right? I mean, that, that is how we, I remember in high school, I worshiped food so much, I couldn't concentrate in my morning classes because I would be dreaming about lunchtime. And I was thinking there's this restaurant in Texas called Grandy's. They're illegal in California. Um, <laughs> Because they're so unhealthy, but uh, they had, they had all you could eat chicken fried steak. The Lord. <laughs> and then I got delivered, Jeff. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, food is a, is a blessing, but I, I find that we can be mastered by our stomachs. Uh, and God wants to set you free. Here, here's actually what can happen. Uh, when, when we are not in control, but something else is in control, it can lead us into destruction and, and keep us from, from having all that God has for us. Here's a, a very sad story of two brothers. One's Esau, he's the older brother. He's gonna have this great inheritance. And one's Jacob, he's a younger brother. And it's, let's pick up in Genesis 25, 27. It says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. Now, he hadn't been fasting. He hadn't been lost in the desert for weeks. He just had, you know, hadn't eaten in a couple hours while he's out hunting. He says that's why he's called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Okay, basically, let's put the story in modern, in, in modern times, right, is the younger brother comes up, you know, and says, hey, I'll give you some of my in and out if you give me, you know, my parents' Tesla. And, and, and he goes, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright? It's, it's so much more than a Tesla. He's like, you get all the inheritance. But he goes, what good is that? I'm about to die. He's not about to die. He's just having some hunger pains. But Jacob said, Jacob was smart. He's like, swear to me first. So he swore on an oath selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave him some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. You know, when we're not in control of our momentary carnal cravings, we can forfeit our whole destiny in God. So he gave up his birthright for a bowl of beans. 
That is one dumb amigo. All right. Let's move on. Um, let, me, let me just say, though, uh, we, we can honor. I, I had to learn this, guys, because I was, I was very weak in this area. I had to learn to honor God with my eating. I had to learn to honor God, to, to know when to say when, because I just kept stuffing myself. I had to learn to stop worshiping food. And can I just tell you that God wants to give you freedom in the area of eating? All right, number two. Here's the next one. This, once again, just like food is a blessing, this next one is a blessing. This next temptation is the rest and the comfort temptation. We're going to put it down by his legs down here because so oftentimes we want to just kick up our legs and rest. So let me ask you this question. Is rest bad? No, rest is good. God sets up a day just for resting. That's the Sabbath day. It's healthy for us. Psalm 23 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. God is a God of blessing. He wants us to rest. I, one of my, my heroes, he's this hard-charging pastor, always doing ministry, and then he had a total physical meltdown and a nervous breakdown and went into a depression, and he ended up going to see a authority on adrenaline and stress, and this authority tells him, he goes, you could have circumvented so much of this if you would have just slept seven hours a night, because that's all you needed. So can I just tell you, the, the Bible says he gives his beloved sleep. God wants to give us rest, and so I'm all about healthy resting. But the problem is, oftentimes here in San Diego, we live in the city where the rest of America comes to rest. And so there's always someone going to the beach, and there's always someone just hanging out, and we can look at them and go, well, why can't I do that all the time? Right? In a city where the world comes to rest, it's a temptation for us to just want to live a life of rest. I actually hear people say, I got the best job. Man, I got the best job. Tell me about it. I only have to work two days a week. No, can I just tell you that work isn't a part of the curse? Work is a blessing. Like God says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's already preordained for you to do. So maybe if you hate work, maybe you're in the wrong work. Right, But you need to find what God has created you for and do it, and then you will find yourself fulfilled as you live out your destiny. Now, I'm not telling you that everything and every, every part of the day you're going to love. If, if, you, if you enjoy 60% of your work, then you are in hallelujah territory. Okay, Because every job has, has parts of it that I don't want to do. Why are you affirming that so much as one of our pastors, Jeff? <laughs> He's like, it's working with you, Robert. <laughs> let, me, let me show you the danger of just trying to live a life of rest and of ease. This is, this is a godly man that this story is about. 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 11 is about David. David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who loved to worship God. But all of a sudden, he stops doing what he's called to do and just says, you know what, I've... I've worked hard. Now I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have a lifestyle of rest. And, and so it says this in the spring at the times when kings go off to war. So David's a king, and what do kings do in the spring? They go off to war. But it says David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. So he sends someone else to do the work he's supposed to do. 
And it says, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed. It doesn't say one night. It says one evening. So this is 5 p.m., 6 p.m. What's he doing laying in bed watching Bethlehem Netflix, right? <laughs> and he walked around on the roof of the palace. Oh, that's Jerusalem, not Bethlehem, excuse me. And, he, and, and so he gets up. Why is he getting up from his bed? Because he's not sleepy, because he's just being lazy, right? That's not how you're created to operate. You're created to work hard and then rest well, not just kind of lazily lay on the rooftop in, in Jerusalem. And so he gets up, and what happens is laziness gives way to sensual sins. Laziness gives way to sensual sins. And so it says, he's on the rooftop, he sees a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. See, when, when we're lazy, we just start sowing to our flesh, and then we start wanting to please the cravings of our flesh. And so he sees a woman that doesn't have any clothes on, and instead of going, oh, wait, don't do that. Don't look, man of God, look away. He just keeps staring, and in fact, he says, go get that woman. And he finds out, wow, she's even the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Can I just tell you, one of the greatest ways to not walk into sin is to keep putting your hands to what God's called you to. All right, let's move to the next one. Let's move to the next area of temptation. Here's the temptation. Gary Goodbody's appetite for sex. Kind of landed in an awkward place right there. Um, I didn't make the string that long. Um, here, it's extremely important for me, for, for our church to have the right theology of sex. Let me just ask you this question. Is sex bad? And some of you guys were emphatic. You're like, no! Uh, here's one of the things I'm encouraged about in the church in America. I often tell, tell you things that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about. But one of the things I'm encouraged about is that churches are actually talking about sex and God's blessing of sex more. You know, I, I'm thankful for that because growing up in church, talking about sex was taboo. So the only time someone said sex, they followed it with, don't do it, right? It was like, run, Robert, run, anytime someone mentioned sex. And so what I thought as a young man was, wow, that's something that's so amazing and so cool, but yet God doesn't want me to, to have anything to do with that, so God must be trying to ruin my fun. Anyone honest enough to say they thought that before? Like, why is God trying to keep me from the fun things and the exciting things? And so what wasn't explained is that sex is actually a blessing, that God devoted a whole book to it, Song of Solomon, which was strangely, any reference to Song of Solomon was strangely missing in my family devotionals growing up. <laughs> Have you noticed that? It's never in a family devotional book. Poor Solomon, he just gets his book skipped. And... Um, But, but sex, we often equate to the gift of fire. Fire is so beautiful to, to behold in a fireplace. You, it, you cozy up to it. It's warm. It's, it's reinvigorating. In an in a, in a oven, fire cooks. It preserves life. It brings heat to a home. It's such a wonderful blessing. But once it gets out of the confines of that fireplace or that oven and jumps out uncontrollably, it brings destruction. And we know that in California. Fires ravage millions of acres of beautiful forests. They destroy homes. It even kills lives. And so it goes with sex. 
in the proper confines, it is so beautiful. It's beautiful to, to behold. It brings life. It brings nourishment. But outside, it causes tremendous destruction. So what's the big deal about sex out of marriage? Like, what, what is the big deal? I, I wish someone would have explained this to me. First uh, Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. I want to look at that for a moment. So once again, Paul is talking to the, to the Corinthian people who are very carnal. And he says this, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Can I just tell you, your body was not created for sex out of marriage. Like your body was not created for that. And that's why so many problems happen when we give ourselves to a life like that. And then he's going to explain it. But for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So you have the most abundant life when you devote your body to the Lord. The reason God sets up parameters is because he wants to bless you. The reason I set up parameters, the reason I, I, I would actually say, get out of the street to my kids is not, man, you are such a jerk, right? Why don't you let your kids just free roam, free roam parenting, like free roam chickens, you know? Why? No, because they can get hit in the road. So I say, get out of the road, get into the yard. I've set up a very safe, wonderful place for you to play. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Here's this unbelievable revelation that when you are saved, you become a part of Christ. And so he's saying you don't take your body and, and take Jesus, take part of Jesus, and then throw it into sin. Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? So what we don't understand is that sexual immorality has physical implications. That when you have sex, it's not just doing something that feels good for a moment. You actually become one with the person. Like heaven, the, the reality actually becomes you are one person. When Steph and I were married, it wasn't the certificate that all of a sudden made us one. It was also the sexual relationship that all of a sudden the Lord starts seeing us as one person. So it's not just some little, oh, that was pleasing, that was fun. No, you actually become one person. And it's not just physically. Listen to this. It says the two will become one flesh, but whoever unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. There's actually a spiritual dynamic. And that's what I, I try to warn people about is when you have sexual relationships with someone, your spirits become tied together. And then you become a conduit to traffic on any of the demonic that they have in them, any warfare, any of their sin, any of their corruption, you just start trafficking in that. You have no idea that it's not just a, a, a pleasurable moment, but you're actually subjecting yourself. You're tying yourself together. And then if you move from person to person, you wonder why people's souls are so fragmented because you actually just became one with someone and then whoosh, you rip it apart and go to another and you become fragmented with so many parts of so many people. It's not very encouraging. Now, here's the, here's the thing. He, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 7. This is a little more encouraging. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So they actually wrote that. So they're going, okay, Paul, we're getting this. So probably better to just not have sexual relations. But listen, listen to what Paul says. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty. He's saying, no, 
No, it's not like all Christians, we're just the no sex people. Actually, no, go, and that's why God's given marriage, is you should have sexual relations with your husband and your wife, and the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Don't deprive each other except for perhaps by mutual consent and for times that you can devote yourselves to prayer. You see, sex in, in a healthy marriage, in a healthy Christian marriage, is so different because for Gary and, and his just craving, it's just all about him. And oh man, I feel this craving and I just want to go satisfy it. In a Christian godly marriage, it's all about blessing someone else. Like true love is laying your life down for someone else, not just gratifying your momentary animalistic need. Are you following me? And that's why marriage and a godly marriage and godly sexual relationships, I'm like kind of, but um, it, it is so beautiful because it's all about serving it's all about giving. It's all about nurturing. And that's the heart of Jesus. Then come together so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. So he's saying, hey, for some of you, a few of you, you're going you're gonna to have the gift of celibacy and not get married. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for you to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they can't control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And all the young people said, amen. (laughs) It's my life verse right there. Uh, um, Since it's very awkward already in the room, let me just just keep saying awkward things. This is why I would encourage you not to have a five-year engagement. If if you know the person you're going to marry, get married fast, right? Make it legal. Don't burn with passion. Why why set yourself up? And this is why I would encourage you. You don't need, you know, people are just getting married older and older and older, but but they're struggling more and more and more. If you find the person in your 20s, marry them, except you two. Um, It's my kids right there. Um. So, so struggling with sexual sin, one of the biggest struggles of, of my, my late teenage years, let me, let me just give you some practicals, though, to overcome. Let me give you some practicals to overcome. I encourage you to take notes, because maybe you can help a friend with these. <laughs> That's funny. Um, make a pact. Make a pact that you're not going to fall into sexual immorality. Okay, and PAC stands for this. P stands for pray. When you get attacked sexually in your mind, which every human does, uh, don't just go, no, I'm not going to do that. Stop, stop thinking, mind. No, cry out to God. Cry out for God's power. I want to tell you that that was one of the things I did as a young man. I was like, God, I, I was still like so new in my faith. And I was like, God, if you're real, 
then you got to give me power to overcome this. And can I just tell you, I drew near to God. I got to know God out of my desperation. Can, you, can I tell you that sometimes it's your, your temptation that will bring desperation? And, and that will, will bring you close to God. And so start praying, crying out to God. And here's what, what happens. If every time you're sexually tempted, you start praying, then you start becoming the kind of person that God wants you to because you become a praying person. So all of a sudden, your temptation, like every time the enemy tempts you, he's actually helping you become a saint. Right? I remember one day, I realized how every time he tempted me, I started praying. I was like, I'm praying all the time. And then one day, I was like walking down the street, and I had a temptation thought, and I started praying. And I went, hey, thank you, enemy. I forgot to be praying right now. Booyah. Because I was like, you are helping me become the man I'm supposed to become. You know, if you start doing that, he'll actually stop tempting you in that way because he just realizes, oh, I'm, t- I'm turning this person into a saint, right? So number one, pray. Number two, accountability, P-A, accountability. Uh, I know tons of guys that are free from sexual sin. People say, oh, guys aren't free or, man, people, everyone's looking at pornography or everyone's dealing with this. Can I just tell you, I know tons that are free, but I don't know one that did it without an accountability partner. I don't know one that got free without an accountability partner. You need someone helping lift your arms. And I'm not just talking to guys, obviously. I'm just saying that because I'm a guy. But you need someone who's going to pray for you. You need someone who's going to lift up your arms. You need someone who you can call and talk to and say, hey, man, I am really struggling right now. I'm in this situation or I just saw this image. Speaking of see this image, C stands for cut it out. Cut it out. And what I mean is not just cut out all the sin. Of course, we'd all love to cut out the sin. But what I mean is cut out out the things that tempt you, right? So I, I, I had to realize, oh man, I'm, I'm tempted with images. Well, maybe I should cut out watching Baywatch. Maybe that would help me, right? Uh, cut out the shows that you watch that are exposing you to sensual material, right? Some, some people, I've seen some guys get free, and one of the ways they did it was they got a flip phone, Right? They're walking around, ding, 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 ding. But you know what? A little embarrassing, but their soul got set free. Amen. Right? I've, I've known guys that had to put their, their computer in the living room so that everyone would see them so they wouldn't look at other stuff. I want to tell you, how desperate are you to be free? Right? You can be free. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Don't tell me that sin is more powerful. It's just how bad do you want it? Are you willing to cut it out? And the last one, T stands for tell all. You gotta have someone that you go and tell everything you've ever done. Why? Because it gets all hiddenness out of your life. And it flips on the light, right? And if there's a skeleton in the closet, then there's decay in your soul. But you, you open the door and you tell someone everything and the enemy no longer has the power of secrecy over your life. The enemy loves to traffic in darkness and in secrets. You expose everything, you get set free. Last one. Last one here. This is, uh, this is all of us now. Gary Goodbody. Man, he just has this need for entertaining stimuli, right? I was in an airport yesterday, and I watched every single person walk in, sit down in a chair, and go, why? 
You know this by now. You've heard this, the studies by now that every time you get a like on Instagram, every time you get a comment on Facebook, you, when you pull up that Candy Crush and, and, and you do whatever you do with it, you get a release of dopamine. So your body craves stimulation. But we're finding it all right here. Right? And, and so, so why, why should we put these things down? Well, first of all, we're all looking like the hunchback of Notre Dame, you know, <laughs> right? Because um, we're living, living like this. But secondly, we're missing out on the touch of God. Right? By us spending all our time touching our screens, we miss out on the touch of the Father. Right, you were made for stimulation. So you, when you sit down and you have this like, ooh, I need something. Ooh, I need some excitement. Ooh, I just need a little. Instead of going, ooh, what's the next thing on Instagram, right? Instead, you need to, I, I dare you this week, walk into your home and leave your phone by the door. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to be sitting there and you're going to be like, what do I do? What do I do? And I want to encourage you to say, Holy Spirit, touch me. Can I just tell you what one of the, God designed you with these needs that come up. Let your needs drive you to God, right? Let your need. It's, it's, I'm not saying fast because, you know, Facebook is demonic and insta-devil, right? Wants to. No, I'm, I'm saying, would you fast from something that's permissible to feast on something that's beneficial, right? Would, would you, would you, it, Instagram is like corn chips at a Mexican restaurant. It fills you up so you miss the main course. That is good. Like, I just thought of that right there, Steph. It's like, and I've also been on a cleanse. Um, <laughs> I miss the corn chips. Uh, don't fill up on the chips, right? There's no nutritional value. Fill up on the presence of God. Let the presence of God, would you put down, would you put down your phone? Why don't you just try it for a week and see what happens? See if you're not communing more and more. Guys, I am not saying this to ruin your fun. I'm saying this to help you walk into the abundant life because Jesus has something so much better than the little cravings that we fill ourselves with and half the time we're destroying our lives. And he's saying, come to me. This is what he says in John 7. Come to me, all you are thirsty, and I will give you something to drink, and out of you will flow streams of living water. He wants you to feast, but he has so much greater a feast than the small, trivial, carnal pleasures of this world. Why don't you stand up?